Hello, this is Bobby Davro, and you're listening to Phil Butler on the Green Room Podcast. Okay, hello, Joe Pasquale. Uh, hello, Phil Butler. How are you, love? Sorry, underdog. Underdog. I've had an accident, you know, if you recognise. Some people don't think it's me. Well, they think it's a Joe Pasquale impersonator. I think they think it's um, uh, Brian Blessed doing the other voice as well, you see. Oh, really? Yeah. But you might have don't know, where's that you? Yeah, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how's it going, all right? Yes, good, mate. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to Panto. Yeah, uh, lovely. You're doing yeah. Panto, aren't you? For the first time in 15 years. Where are you doing it? Uh, Telford. Have you got, oh, Telford, the... Um, Oaken Gates. The Oaken Gates, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, great. Yeah. I'm in Wolverhampton. Yeah, and there's a load of pound shops there. You can actually feed yourself on six quid a week, as long as you only eat Haribo, so that'd be fine. (laughs) Okay, so uh, just I've written down a load of stupid questions about Panto. Um, I'm going around to the the usual suspects and uh, asking uh, the the following questions. What is your earliest memory of Panto? My earliest memory of me working in it, or actually watching one. Of watching one? Watching one. I was five years old, and my nan took me to London to see... Peter Pan, Wendy Craig. Do you remember Wendy Craig? She yeah. was being a sitcom in the 80s. Butterflies. 70s. Butterflies, well done. Yeah, with Nicholas Lindhurst. He was yes. in The the Sun, yeah. And she took my nan, took me to see Peter Pan, and Wendy Craig was Peter Pan. And I remember there was a great big like, half-pound rope around her waist and flying, and it didn't take anything away from the magic for me. <laughs> and uh, I think that's one of the most important things about Panto, is the first time a kid gets to see theatre for the first time. Yeah. Rather than playing on an on a iPad and going, oh, look, the grass looks really green there and the sky looks blue. And, you know, there's real people in this, but if you actually go and see a theatre, there's real people there. Yeah. So I think it's the first time that kids get to see, interact with something like that. I think it's quite important. It sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But it's, I think it is important. Yeah, and you enjoyed it. I love it. I absolutely loved it. And I think that's the reason I still do it every year, apart from uh, it's a, a decent job for Christmas. But I do enjoy doing it. Do you miss not going to see one? Um, no, I don't. I've been to see one occasionally because my son's an actor and I go and watch him occasionally. I sit there, I, go and, I love watching him work. But uh, I'm a bit cynical when I go and watch other ones work because no one does it. No one seems to put the same amount of effort into it that I do. They really don't. Because <laughs> I think it's because I love it that much. Yeah. Sounds very um, you know, uh, weird saying that, but I do. At my age, I really enjoy doing it. I think it's the sort of job you've got to enjoy doing if you want to do it properly. Because it's hard, as you know. Yeah. You know, especially doing free on a Saturday and they're shouting, it's behind you at <laughs> half past eight and you've done it twice already and there's a thousand kids who've done 60 performances already. And you want to go, I know it's been there for the past six weeks and it's still there now, but you don't. You have to sell it like it's the first time. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? First pantomime I remember seeing professionally was with Tommy Steele at the London Palladium. I don't remember the year. It was something like 1974. Something like that, 72, 74, but it was definitely Tommy Steele. 1976, I was 18, so if it was 72, I was probably about 12. I, I recall about 12 years old I was, 10 or 12 years old. We'll have to look it up in the records. What did you think of it? Um, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was really good, really, really good. And he was very good as Adams, old Tommy Steele. And uh, I remember it um, interested me. I was just becoming interested in show business and interested in... in and, but I never realised when I watched Tommy Steele, well, that, uh, that first pantomime, that I would have done 32 of them. Uh, well, I didn't really go to see pantomimes when I were a kid. Um, I think we were um, not that kind of family, really. But um, my very first pantomime was at uh, Wolverhampton Grand, and I only did it to get myself out of the clubs and the uh, pubs over the Christmas period. And I, and I didn't like it at all. I hated it. And the dame w- was giving me grief all the time and he was coming on and interrupting me. And in the end, I 
I was so fed up, I wanted to come home, and I went up to the pub between shows over the road, and I had about four pints, and I thought, bugger it, I'm going to do what I do, and I absolutely rung rings round him, and by the end of it, um, I'd got uh, four pantos offered me, so it kind of worked in my favour, but in actual fact, he did me a load of good, because he taught me all about upstaging, interrupting, killing gags, cutting people's lines and all that, and I learnt it, and, and a few years later, I was in... Um, uh, Peter Pan and the bloke who played Captain Hook was an actor and um, he, he was a bit of a misery and he um, started doing all the same things to me, you know, upstaging, cutting my lines, all that and I, because he, this other guy had taught me all the all the rules um, I was able to handle it, so he did me a favour really. Well, how old were you when you did your first one? Uh, 69 <laughs> 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 oh, I'd, I reckon I'd be about 30 or something like that Really, that late? Mm. I, that's unbelievable to me. Mm. Well, um, I am a late developer, really. I mean, uh, when I went on New Faces in 1986 and I'd already been going 16 years, so it took me 16 years to be a new face. Yeah. Overnight success. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the most about pantomime being able to entertain the youngsters, the teenagers, the mums and dads and the grands and grandpas. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a thing, it's a, a media which you can actually entertain right across the board if you do it correctly. And not only with the laughs, it's very important. I always, I always like the, the pathos in it as well. I always like to try and make the audience cry. That is one of the things I, I, I do. I do. I succeed when I sing. They go, oh, my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> 20 quid a ticket. <laughs> yeah, Sounded a bit like Harry Hill then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, that's the bit I love. I love not only the comedy side of things, but I love the audience and I'm the, I, and I, as the comic, I'm the only one really that can get into the audience and and sort of come out of the the, the, the play out of the pantomime and include the audience. You know, it's good to, that I've got that power. I'm, I'm lucky. I, that's the kind of part I like. Um, I don't think there's a better sound than a load of kids laughing. Um, to me, that's uh, you know, I just feed off that. I love it, you know. And if you get the kids laughing, the mums and dads will follow. What I love most about the pantomime, relentlessness of it. Uh, I know it sounds a bit weird that I quite like doing tw two and, you know, you get into it from lunchtime and you don't finish till 10 o'clock at night and that's it, it's just relentlessness of it. And also I like Nando's, I do like a Nando's, it gives me an excuse to have a Nando's every day. <laughs> and uh, the least, uh, what, what you like the least about it? The least is... The relentlessness. Yeah, <laughs> it is, I was just about to say, the, the amount of tiredness you feel at the end of it all, especially if you're doing three on a Saturday, you get three on a Saturday... To get through that, you know, 10 o'clock at night, you can't wait for that to finish. Then, God, yeah, I'm glad that's over today. The half past 10 one in the morning is the hard one. Because, right. you know, you just want to sit there with your feet up watching Saturday Kitchen or something. And you're not, you've got to go out there. And I think I've got that for the first four days, and that's it. Oh. And then we're on 5.30 and 7.30, 7 something like that. Yeah, no, it's the Saturday morning early ones that, that kill you. Yeah. Do you ever try to corpse people? Do I ever try to corpse people? Yes. I love trying to corpse people, especially the girlies, and they've got to sing and, and, be, and be serious and, and look, look with love in their eyes, you know, and I'm just doing stupid things. Um, I do, but I, I always have to try and include the audience. That's the trick of, of corpsing and the trick of having fun on stage. It's all right to have fun on stage, uh, especially with, with me because I'm the comedian, so, I'm a, so I get a bit of licence for that. As long as the audience can um, join in. It's, it's nothing worse than seeing a pantomime where it's all a little bit... Everyone's having fun with each other, but the audience don't know what's going on. So that's one of the tricks of and, and one of the rules of the game. I don't do it on purpose. I try, every show's different, so you never know what's going to happen, which is another thing that I love about pantomime. Um, and sometimes uh, something just happens and you keep it in. Yeah. 
Or I'll do it different. I mean, corpsing people, you can't do the same gag twice, as we know. Right. You know, it's not funny if you've heard it. So, um, it's just what happens, really, you know. But what I try to do is know everybody else's parts. So, if I go off on a bit of a tangent, which is about mid for two, um, <laughs> um, I can always g give them the right feed line to get them back into the script. them back in. Yeah, so they're safe. You know, I want people to feel safe with me. I don't want them to be panic-stricken. That is my main job in Panto. I throw the script out the window. Literally, I throw it out the window. I give them the queue line in, the queue line out, something. the rest of it, I'll talk about my tortoise. I'll do whatever I need to do to make them go. I make sure the audience are in on it. I don't let them don't let you see, you know, oh, look, what, what's he doing? What's he talking about? I let the audience know that I've thrown the script away and they won't know what I'm talking about. So that's uh, the main attraction for me. Who was your uh, best victim? My best victim um, is a girl called Lucy Evans, who is used to be in Coronation Street, and this is my fifth year of working with Lucy, playing uh, Sleeping Beauty. And what's the beauty of her part is she's played Sleeping Beauty. So ten minutes in, she pricks her finger and goes to sleep. Then she goes and watches about 45 minutes, two hours, of whatever it is, of box sets of, of 24, the West Wing, because she's not on until the end when she wakes up. So she has no idea what's gone on during the show because she's been watching telly for two hours and at the end of the show, I have a recap of what's gone on in the show. She doesn't know what's gone on. And I've been given some food and I feed her the food at the end of it. And it could be anything from cold Nando's to a, oh. a variety meal from Kentucky and I make her eat it because she hasn't had her dinner. She's been asleep for 100 years and I force feed it to her, which is my favourite bit. Uh, I think it had to be Melinda Messenger. Um, Melinda, Melinda Messenger. Um, two of my favourites, by the way. <laughs> And um, she used to be scrubbing the floor in the in the uh, kitchen scene in Cinderella, and I and, and she was pregnant at the time, and she she won't she'll hate me for saying this, but she could get larger and larger, and uh, she could hardly stand up. You know, she, she used to sleep on her back definitely. Anyway, she was scrubbing the tiles, and I used to come in, and I used to look straight down the front of her dress with these enormous boobaroonies she had, and I used to look at the audience and go, "Cool, and they've come up lovely, haven't they?" <laughs> She's scrubbing the tiles. She says, do you think so, Buttons? I go, yeah, you could eat your dinner off those. <laughs> all the dads were laughing in the audience and all the mums were just giving them the elbows, you know, bump. It was funny and she used to laugh all the time. The more she laughed, everything wobbled about and it was, it was great. It was funny. Every year there's something uh, fun, funny happens. Um, the, the, when you talk about victims, the, the prince, it's the people who are supposed to stay in character. So the, the prince, he's got to stay in character and the princess and those kinds of characters. And if they and the baddie, of course, if they don't stay in character, then you know, if they're all trying to be funny, it makes my job harder. It's much funnier if I'm the naughty boy and they're dead straight. But sometimes it's great for the baddie and all that if you can, um, you know, get them laughing a bit. It, 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 it works, you know. I said to a, a girl, um, she was playing um, Cinderella, and I suddenly put in, uh, in the kitchen scene... Um, not, I was going to do knock knock. Who's and she says who's there? And I say interrupting cow. And she says inter. And I go moo like that, right? So I went knock knock. And she looked at me. She said, "I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You're not doing that to me." She said on stage. <laughs> I went all right then. We'll carry on with the script. She was frightened to death. It's funny, isn't it? And um, another girl, I said to her in Peter Pan, I said. I said, when we mention the Indians, I'll say, where do, I like Indians, where does an Indian keep his arrows? And you say, in a quiver. And I'll say, where does an Indian keep his arrows? Right? So I said, where does an Indian keep his arrows? She said, they keep them in the quivers. <laughs> I went, all right, thanks a, thanks a lot for that then. Very informative. Uh, yeah, but I was, I, was, I was all over the place after that. <laughs> 
Who has been your most fascinating co-star? Most fascinating co-star, let me see. Uh, in actual fact, it's probably a bloke I'm working with now called Kerry Dupree, who is uh, a, the best dame I've ever worked with. He's a bit like Danny LaRue, he works like that, and he sells it, he works like Danny LaRue, looks like Danny LaRue, he has fantastic costumes. What's amazing about him is when he takes the wig off and the eyelashes and the makeup. I know we're all completely different people when you come off, but he is a different person. I don't just mean we're slightly different. I don't have the same relationship with him off as I do on. When he's on, we get on great. When he's off, it's a brick wall in front of him, and he won't let nothing go. Uh, And I don't know who he is off at all. I know who he is. Queen Passionella, I know completely, inside and out. When he comes off, I know nothing about the man. And I find it really interesting that he can actually be that closed off off stage and that, that open on stage. It's a real weird, mm. yeah, it's like a bit Peter Sellersy type thing. Yeah. He's, he's brilliant, he's talented, he's very talented, but he's a weirdo as well. I've worked with some wonderful people, people like Henry Winkler, um, the Fonz, remember him? He was a, quite a complicated man. He was very, very good, very, very good and very, very nice. Um, but he, he, was, uh, he was a little bit more insular. And then I worked with, uh, a couple of years later, I worked with Mickey Rooney, the great movie star Mickey Rooney, and he is 90-some-odd years old. I don't know how old he was as Ams, but he's seen Haley's Comet three times, apparently. And he was, he was quite crouching. But I listened to his stories, and I had great respect for him for what he had done throughout his career. And um, I'd sit there many times, sitting on the sofa, and he used to like milkshakes. He used to get me milkshake. I remember when I was working with Spencer Tracy on this film. It was fantastic, the stories. In fact, I sat with him once, watching... A mad, mad, mad world, which Spencer Tra- Tracy was in, and it was—I I was watching him as a young man. Well, say young, he was about fifty then, um, or maybe not quite that old, forty-five, fifty. And he was flying an aeroplane, and he heard the, the 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 track, and he came in from the dressing room, and he sat there. Why are you watching buttons? I said, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Right. Sit yourself down. He sat down there, and he—he was—he was in awe. awe. He could see his little face light up. That took us three days to record. We did it in a big movie set in Hollywood, and it, oh, it was fantastic. And he had a hatred for Frank Sinatra. And one day, I came in singing "Finally to the Moon," and he—he is. He goes, "Shut that up!" He said, <laughs> "That ass!" He said, "He ran off with my wife," and his, that wife was Ava Gardner. So it's incredible, really. You see this little man, but. Yeah, I had a lot of respect for him, and he was fascinating. A bit grouchy, but it was, he was the most fascinating one, I think, I ever worked with. Well, I've been very lucky. I've, I've worked with uh, all sorts of uh, different people. Um, my, one of my first pantos was uh, Danny LaRue. He was, uh, he was um, interesting, to say the least. I mean, the story's all about show business and what he'd done with his life and all that, and he, he was a fascinating character. Um, John Inman was a great friend of mine, and he was a lovely man to me. He, I, he was in the first panel I saw. Was he? Yeah, he, yeah, Mother Goose. He, he was a lovely man. I, I loved him. And um, um, John Chalice, he's a he's a mate of mine. I worked with him a couple of times, as uh, funnily enough, in um, Aladdin. That were at Wolverhampton, and he's smashing. Barbara Windsor, um, uh, I was wishy washy, and she were Aladdin. Um, so you know, I've had um, I've had some good fun, and generally speaking, they've all been fantastic people to work with. And that's another thing I love about pantomime is because these are people that I would never ever cross paths with ever yeah. under under normal circumstances. So you're thrown in a pot with these sometimes a really big famous people, 
And you get to know them, and you 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 know it's it's you spend it, a lot of time with them. Absolutely, because you're trapped in a it's like Big Brother house, isn't it? You're all yeah. trapped in a building, and and with a bit of luck, we have a bit of social life and go out for meals and stuff. So it's great, you know. We had Linda Bellingham last year, who sadly has not been well, but um, she was a fabulous character as well. Linda Bellingham, she was lovely. Mm, the amazing lives that you must hear about, the stories that they must tell in the dressing rooms, amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Linda's, uh, she's got all sorts in her life. But I love, but, um, you know, when they speak terribly posh like that, and, and when they swear, it's, <laughs> it doesn't sound like swearing, does it? It just sounds wonderful. I, I, there's a lady that sometimes plays buddy with me, and she um, uh, lives in Godalming and talks terribly like this. And, um, but she, she swears like a trooper. Any panto disasters? Uh, yeah, quite a lot of those. I actually dislocated my shoulder a few years ago. Look, see it there, still there. Oh, yeah. Can you see it? It's yeah, like a little yeah. chicken wing hanging out there. That's yeah. disgusting. It is disgusting, yeah. <laughs> it is disgusting. You feel it. Give us an old day. You feel it. No, you feel it. No. Oh, oh, no, like that? no. Oh, that's not, oh, yeah, that's that's not nice. Yeah, that was an absolute disaster. I'd only been on to it. was when I came out of the jungle. And uh, I did a, a forward roll, and I thought, everybody's doing cartwheels. I can do a cartwheel. We're going to do a cartwheel. And halfway through, I thought, I forgot, how do I do a cartwheel? I forgot. So I did a forward roll, sideways on, and popped my shoulder out completely. It's still out now, as you can see. And it, I felt I had a stroke. I did the rest of the show. did the rest of the run with my arm in a sling. And wow. it was just horrendous. Worst pain I've ever had. Ooh, panto disasters. Um, uh, the, the, the one that we never talk about was in Nottingham, when sadly... Uh, uh, there's a knock on my door in between shows and uh, a newspaper came along. <laughs> I won't mention the newspaper. And they um, had found out that my wife, the then wife, was having an affair with someone and it was terrible. It was like someone, like someone had died. And the following show I went out to do the show and I was such in shock I couldn't speak and we had to bring the curtain down. And that, to me, that was the worst moment of my life on a stage. It was terrible. I went to say, Hello, boys and girls, my name's... Uh, and but um oh you know, I, I, I was in shock it was I was so shocked that day it was like losing a obviously like losing a parent or losing a a, a friend or whatever going and it was oh, it was horrendous and I felt a bit embarrassed afterwards but I managed to get myself together again although it was a very difficult few weeks in Nottingham um it should have been a terrific show because I was on with Danny LaRue you know it's one of the wonderful show, you know show business friends that I had <laughs> and. Uh, he, he helped me through it, really. Everyone helped me up there, but cool, it was a it was a, a horrible time. Disasters as far as anything's going old. Things like the the music not being played, or they played the wrong music, or the the microphones break. Yeah, but that pales into in, insignificance when you when you can't speak. Yeah, you know yeah. what happened. What happened after that? How long how long did the curtain come down for? Yeah, we had to cancel that show. It's the only show that we ever cancelled. And they and uh, fortunately, I've got some very good friends. I've got a very good dear friend called Dave Smith, and he got me through. You know, come on, Bob's got to get you together. You don't want to let this bother you. And, and it was it's horrible. It was a terrible moment to, be, to discover that. Uh, I don't even like to talk about it now, really, but it, it was a terrible moment. Um, but of course, I've had other disasters as far as losing my voice. You know, I've been in shows, and then you get the flu. Last year we were in Northampton, and the year before I'd done so well, they asked me back, so I'd gone off to Northampton. And I'd done a lovely ten days, everything was going great, and then I got the flu, and then I lost my voice and struggled for three weeks after, so I had to cut out some of the singing. And um, I went, I've been on stage when I haven't even had a talk, let alone sing, so it's, uh, it's, one, of the, it's one of the things of... Uh, it's one of the, you know, the, the, the... What's the word I'm looking for? One of the drawbacks to um, pantomime, you have to go on, whether you can sing or you can't. I mean, there's very few times when I've missed a pantomime, however ill I've been.
Oh, that were another, that, well, yeah, that were um, that were Peter Pambat, and I was on with the pirates, and it was one of those who, what, where, when. So the p- pirates are all called who, what, where, when, and how. So the, the gag is, it's like who's on first base, you know. So um, uh, you know who's who's um, over there. No, no, it's not who, it's when. Well, when was who? who no, 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 all that. So anyway, I'd learned all this routine, and somehow we were going back to the first part of the routine, but without me knowing. So it seemed to go on forever. <laughs> and we all stood there, and then it finished up where we were all just absolutely falling about with lack. We couldn't finish the routine because I, I couldn't get to the end of it. I kept going back to the beginning somehow. <laughs> but it was hilarious, all these... all these Because they're like gymnasts, you know, they're not actors. So they were absolutely gone, you know, with the swords on and all that. We all had to walk off in the end. <laughs> but the audience loved it, you know. Just gave up. Yeah, we had to give up, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. No, great fun. I was um, doing a panto one year with Bill and Ben, the flowerpot men, and they could only speak in Bill and Ben language, you know, blah, 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 you know, and all that. So um, the only way we could communicate at one point in the, uh, which it led into a routine, was uh, to tap dance. So I did a bit of tapping, but they uh, tap danced, and it was somebody in the wings actually doing it because they had these right big feet on. And I could understand what they were saying by their feet and, and answering them, and it went into a bit of a tap routine. Okay. And the line I wrote was, um, uh, oh, I can understand what you're saying now. What you're saying is that uh, now you've lost all your money and you're really poor, and now you haven't got a pot to play in, right? <laughs> and it was an afternoon you performance. <laughs> I didn't have... And I, because I said it with force, and, really, and now you haven't got a pot to play in. So I'm on stage with a load of old tears, like, oh, blue. It was just a sea of blue rinses and glasses, all sat there with the coats on, you know, ready to get be first in the cocoa queue. And, um, and I went on, and I said, uh, you mean you've lost all your money, and now you haven't got a pot to piss in? Like that, I said. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I stood there in absolute shock for ages, and it all went quiet, and I went, I'm... I came totally out of character. I said, I'm awfully sorry. I shouldn't have said that. What I said should have said was, I haven't got a pot to play in. And, uh, and in the end, they were all right. I kept apologising all the way through, but they were all right in the end. But, uh, but it was embarrassing, really. Yeah, there's a few embarrassing ones. I think um, it's always involving the kids at the end. You know, song sheet. Song sheet at the end. You know, you get the four kids up at the end. Um, I remember last year, oh no, it was a couple of years ago, it was, I was doing Peter Pan, and the kid came up and he had a little plastic hook on, they said all these stuff at the front, he had a little plastic hook on, and he had an eye patch on and all that malarkey, and of course um, I'd get him up to sing a song, I'd give him a musical instrument to play or whatever, and because they're really little, I like to, rather than bend down, I, I, I'd get on my knees so I'm the same height as them, and he was the last one, I gave him a trombone to play, and as, a, <laughs> as a, I, I was on my knees, I felt something warm on my knees, and I looked down and the poor little sod had wet himself. But he he must have had a lot of, um, you know, I don't know, some, uh, uh, what do you have, Barocca or something like that, because it was very orangey, you know, this way he'd had a lot of orange, I don't know, vitamin C he'd had that day. And it was so orange, there's a little puddle of yellowness on the floor, I'm I'm kneeling in it now. (laughs) And he was all right, he wasn't upset by it, you know. And I thought, and then I could see him welling up a little bit. I could see, and I went, and everybody could see his, his damp patch in his trousers. I went, don't get upset. We all, we all get, you know, that sometimes. I thought the only way to get him to not feel bad was to wet myself a little bit. I went, look. So I wet myself a little bit just to just, no. just to make him not feel no. bad. Yeah, I did. Yeah, look, see, just look, we all do it sometimes like that, right? And then he dropped it, and then he laughed and he dropped his hook in the wee. So I picked this hook out of the wee and I started flicking it off. And I didn't, you know, it's one of those things you just do instinctively. And it's going all over the pit. All the, all the, all the orchestra getting splashed with this little boy's pee. 
So I suppose when you look back, that was slightly embarrassing. Oh I forced a bit of wee out just so he didn't feel bad. <laughs> I love it. Is that the right thing to do, do you think, or not? I, I love it. I think that's exactly the right thing to do. Yeah, I didn't want him to have, a, have a, you know, something the rest of his life that was going to bother him. Now, every time he saw a trombone, he'd wet himself. So, well, this, you know, well, it's not on my own. Joe Pasquale wets himself whenever he sees a trombone. It's all right. Apart from yourself, who are the kings and the queens of Panto, dead or alive? Oh, uh, I think alive at the moment, Billy Pierce. You ever see Billy Pierce work in Panto? Yeah. I think Billy's brilliant. Yeah. He did He did one on TV as well, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. He might have. I think Billy, uh, in the live position of Panto writing, uh, he is, uh, without doubt, the best. I think Connolly's very good. Brian Connolly's good. Uh, there's usual suspects again. Bradley's very good. Um, Bradley tends to go on sometimes. You know, he does a long, long time sometimes. But when he's on form, there's no one to touch him on that. Um, yeah, I think, for me, Billy's the best one. Yeah. yeah. And dead? Dead. Probably uh, in his height... Uh, Gordon Kay was great when he was alive. Um, Jack Tripp was, was brilliant. Um, Roy Hudd is still alive, and Roy's brilliant in Panto still. Jack Tripp was a great dame. Um, who was? Billy Dainty was great. I worked with Rod Hull and Emu, who was, you know, in my early days, Rod was just fantastic. Yeah. He really was, because there was no script. He didn't even learn the script. He wouldn't <laughs> even bother learning it, because he didn't need to. He had so much to lean on with the Emu. And I learned so much from Rod in those early days that I had to make it work with nothing. Mm. You know, I had, I had to make absolutely nothing work. Yeah. And he would sell it to the hilt. And he would just go out. He would just go out. His entrance, would, he'd be from the back of the stalls and come down and he'd nick, because it wasn't him, it was Emu. Yeah. He would nick everybody's sweets, the crisps, the drinks, he'd throw it all over everybody. And he got away with it. And then he'd nick someone's coat. Someone's coat would come in. Right, this is what I loved about it. Isn't it funny? Put, a, put like a bird on your arm and you, yeah. you've got Get the licence to throw the whole place around. And he did. He literally did anything. He'd mess up people's hair, whatever, you know, and that's what, you, what people come to see. But he would nick someone's coat, right, which was the best thing about the show. This is all people would talk about. You could have the best special effects, best script, best music, best stars. This is the only thing ever, anybody ever talked about was the coat. And he'd nick someone's coat and bring it up on stage, and then he would come on with it. He would come on next scene with it, right? But then, throughout the show, everybody would have a turn wearing this coat. Everybody. There wasn't anybody that didn't... It went from one dancer to another. Everybody would have a turn of the coat. And if we, we had a few prop ones um, as well, which looked very similar to... You know, we'd try and find the right sort of colour, the right look, and then eventually we'd have a tug on and rip it in half at the end. And it just had to bring the house down, and that was the only thing people would ever talk about. You could put anything you like in, the only thing they remembered was that bloody coat. Well, you'd have to look through the dames. There were some fantastic dames. Um, the great John Ingman, he was one of the great dames, wasn't he? Danny LaRue, of course, one of the great dames. Again, it's it's a, almost a, a dying art now, but fortunately those those performers have passed their, their tricks down through the years. So we've got people like Les Dennis now are taking over, doing good dames. Um, Matthew Kelly and, and uh, of course, Biggins is one of the, the great pantomime dames. Um, when it comes to lead actors, there's, there's some great people I'd like to put myself in that, that um, bracket. Uh, Brian Connolly, of course, Joe, Joe Pasquale, la, 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 la. Bradley Walsh, there's a few of my generation. Julian Clary from the younger generation, who does extremely well, I thank you. And he's very good to watch as well, very camp. And uh, I'd like to see some of the younger comics, the, the trendier comics, going into pantomime and learning the trade and learning how to do it, it, it would open up a lot more doors for them. And of course every year it comes around and it's a nice bit of bunts at the end of the year. But the best um, pantomime performer I think I've ever seen, oh, uh, uh, Jim Davidson used to be a fantastic pantomime performer. He doesn't tend to do so many now. 
Barrymore, sadly, he's he's disappeared a little bit, but you know, listen, loads of them. The Crankies, there's a great name for you. The Crankies, well, great performers. There's, they did a shop in Scotland with John Barrowman. Oh, apparently it was the funniest thing that was going. So, yeah, there's still some great performers around and people that you wouldn't maybe, oh, we're not going to see. They're, they're naff, they're, they're, they're old-fashioned. They're not old-fashioned. It's just that we don't see them on the television anymore. It doesn't mean they're old-fashioned. Go along and be thoroughly entertained by pantomime. I think um, people like Billy Dainty in years gone by, um, apparently, I, I never had the pleasure of seeing him. I only saw him on television, but he was uh, fabulous. And I liked, um, to be honest, I liked it in the old days when people like Les Dawson used to play the dame uh, and that kind of thing. And nowadays, there's a fella over in York who's done pantomime there for, like, 30 years, and he's called Berwick Kaler, and apparently he's brilliant. And there's um, Clive and Danny up in... Um, they're up in the in the northeast, Sunderland Empire, I think, um, and they're brilliant. They've been doing pantomime there. And then there's another bloke over in Belfast who's been invited back year after year, and apparently he's brilliant. And he's he's um, I've forgotten his name now. Um, I've forgotten his name, but apparently he's brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's gone out me. And his old days, you know, allotments are starting to look attractive. <laughs> I can't pass one without dribbling and I can't tell you where from. <laughs> and finally, I am doing Panto for the first time in 15 years. Mm. Do you have any advice? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. When you get to rehearsals, look like you know what you're doing. That's, re- that's really good. <laughs> Smile at everybody and say yes if they ask it a duo. <laughs> and, uh, and enjoy it because um, if you get with a good bunch of people, I mean, it is hard work. And it's a business, and people do tend to forget that. You know, and it's very hard work, but if you get with a great bunch of people, it's a social life that you don't, you wouldn't have, really. And you meet, like I say, you meet these lovely people that you'd never, ever meet, and it's a, it's a, the memories, aren't there, that you have, and um, that's how it should be. I think show business should be happiness and good memories and people laughing. I think that's very important. Fantastic. Especially when you're a comic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Billy Pierce, thank you very much. Hey, bless you, Mum. Don't go out late nights and drinking anymore, because I know that you're right. right. Don't do that. You won't be able to do it. If you haven't done it for 15 years, you can't do it now. I'll tell you, you'll go out one night, one late night, you'll get back at four in the morning, and you go, I can't. The next morning, you won't be able to do it, and you'll never recover from it. Don't even attempt to have one late night. Seriously, Phil, don't even attempt. Don't go out and have a drink and a curry. Come, let's go out and have a drink. And they'll go clubbing, right? And you'll get, yeah, 18 pints, whatever it is you drink, whatever it is you eat. You'll regret it for the rest of your life. 